Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. My guest today is Managing Editor James Kleiman to talk about the fallout from the Fed's latest rate hike and the consolidation we expect to see over the next year among mortgage banks. James, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Sarah. Always a pleasure to have you, especially when we have your reporters and editors writing, uh, including you, writing some incredible stories about everything that's happening. We're in earnings season, so we might get to that. But the first I wanted to highlight a story that really is very top of mind for our audience, which is why industry experts don't expect mortgage rates to fall. Of course, this week we had the Fed meeting, they announced a rate hike. We all knew that, but the question was, what's going to happen after that? And, you know, you know, the question for our industry is like, when are we going to see mortgage rates fall? Because so many things depend on that. And with, with the price of homes having escalated so much and haven't come down to the level that we thought maybe with uh, mortgage rates, affordability is huge. So what did that, you know, tell us a little bit about that article. Yeah. I mean, pretty much everything comes down to the Fed meetings. Uh, <laughs> you know, the Federal Reserve at this point is, is pretty clear that it intends to keep raising short-term interest rates. And uh, and that's going to continue to raise the floor for mortgage rates. So, um, you know, we're, we're probably in a position now where the 7% range is going to be the reality for the next few months. There are people who think they might climb even higher. You know, we, we often hear that the uh, the forecasters think we're looking at the eights. But, but a lot of this really comes down to when is the Fed going to pivot? When are they going to pause? When are they going to at least significantly reduce the pace of the increases? You know, we've had four consecutive 75 basis point hikes. And uh, Jerome Powell, the Federal Reserve chairman on Wednesday, didn't give much of an indication as to what happens at the December meeting. Uh, but, you know, certainly the forecasters think that they're going to continue to uh, to still be, historically speaking, pretty high. So Goldman Sachs believes that the Federal Open Market Committee is probably going to start slowing the pace uh, of tightening to about 50 basis points in December. And then, you know, most people still expect that there will be additional maybe 25 basis point hikes to start 2023, but uh, we're, we're not quite... Uh, you know, done yet? It's it's still still going to increase the cost of borrowing. Uh, the Fed remains very hawkish. I think there were a lot of market observers who thought, well, you know, the Fed has really killed the housing market. Perhaps they'll they'll be a little softer. They'll they'll be slightly dovish, but uh, not at all the case. And uh, they said, look, we're going to continue to do this until the job is done, until inflation really is. The place that we wanted, and uh, the Fed has really, really uh, damaged the housing market, and that is their goal. You know, let's let's keep in mind that the Fed is not here to prop up industries. Their their goal is not to keep employment high at this point. In fact, that's it's quite the opposite. So, you know, the the Fed is hoping that we see job loss and and we see you know inflation really start to fall at a greater rate than it has to date. So. Until we have clear indications that the Fed is really starting to pivot, 
Um, I, I think we're still looking at sevens, eights, and, um, you know, it, it means no refis, essentially. You know, there might be uh, a cash at refi here and there, but for the most part, uh, it kills that entire side of the business. And and for the mortgage originators, it's so much more difficult to get one of your prospective borrowers in that house. So uh, the pain will continue. And uh, we just have to to hope that there's a little bit more clarity in the December meeting. Right. I think Powell's remarks afterwards were the things that really sent the market, um, you know, spiraling and also just gave very little hope for those in mortgage because he came in even more hawkish than, you know, what, what the uh, Federal Open Market Committee really said. I mean, he came in, I think, stronger than the rest of the Fed. So that was... That was interesting, uh, not encouraging. Uh, so we have, you know, in a related story. Um, so Bill Conroy just wrote a story. The great mortgage bank consolidation wave is underway. And it really is looking at, you know, how the current environment, what the effects are going to be, especially on independent mortgage banks. Would love to hear more about that story. Sure. So we've already seen quite a bit of this. Uh, Stratmore Group, they do a lot of mortgage uh, M&A advisory work. And I believe they had a report a week or two ago that, that found, I think it was something like 50 deals are expected to close this year. And that would be a high from 2018, which of course was another difficult year for mortgage, right? So um, it's it's worth noting that, you know, typically M&A is happening when there are more uh, more dynamic problems in the market, right? You know, there are so many players right now who just, they don't have the liquidity, they don't have the financial backing to take consecutive quarters of losses. And and you can only cut so deep in staffing to, uh, you know, make the numbers work. I mean, you, you still have to compete for the loans, right? Like the revenue needs to, to fall in line as well. And so uh, Bill Conroy spoke to a number of, of folks who are Really looking at at kind of you know what does the landscape look like in mortgage in the next few years you know if if what we expect to occur which is uh, you know a, a difficult environment brought by high interest rates and and still pretty choppy waters on on the securitization side you know what does that mean for your everyday originators and and as a news organization we so often focus on really the top 50, you know, we, we think about the Rockets and the UWMs and the Wells Fargo's and the guaranteed rates and Loan Depot, et cetera, et cetera, right? But most mortgage companies in America are much, much smaller. And it's a lot of those smaller lenders that are doing a bill a year, two billion a year, maybe a little less, right? And and those are the ones that are really at risk of either one, either finding a buyer, two, maybe finding other sellers, right? Being acquisitive if you have uh, money in the kitty, or you just, you just can't make the numbers work, and and you have to fold, you have to close your doors and, and lay a lot of people off. And so, what's really interesting is for the lenders that we're doing. 125 million up to 250 million in 2021. That's about 140 of a uh, thousand independent mortgage banks. Uh, 72 of those 140, 72 percent of those 140 are going to be doing 
less than 125 million over the next 12 months. And, and we see this across pretty much all the productivity tranches. You know, so if you were between 500 million and 750 million, if you're between 750 and a billion, like et cetera, et cetera, right? Like your, your volume is going to drop pretty considerably. And so that is going to lead to consolidation. And, um, you know, most IMBs this year probably broke even, you know, it's, or they're taking a small loss, right? Nobody's doing great. If you look out at the landscape, you know, it's maybe one or two companies that are doing better than they would expect given the overall market conditions. Um, but, you know, it, it took us years to kind of get to this point, right? And now we're starting to see market conditions, um, you know, that, that created artificial demand that no longer have that demand, right? Like the interest rates at two and a half percent, we're never going to be sustained. And so many businesses made it work for a few years and made record profits. And you can't go from one extreme to another without being a really smart, nimble organization. And and so many of them just aren't, you know, and, and I think that's true of almost any business. If, if this happened to, you know, a microchip industry or chocolate chip cookie manufacturers, right? You had the two best years in your history by far, and then suddenly nobody wants cookies anymore, right? Or very few people do, uh, and you have more competition than ever. Not everyone's going to make it. So what we really wanted to do in this story is look at which kinds of companies would be acquisitive, who have the cash position, who are looking to, um, you know, really expand market share, and, and which companies are going to just struggle as, as smaller players and which companies are entirely going to either, you know, close up shop or, or get bought out. And, you know, it's worth noting that when these companies do get bought out, it's not like they're going to be making a killing for their founders, you know, or, or their, their current leadership. Um, these are probably going to be cut rate prices uh, because there's just not a lot of demand for some of these companies. Um, and, and again, this is a, a pretty big industry. There are a lot of different types of, of players out there. Um, but on average, uh, I, I think we're going to see a massive amount of consolidation in 2023. I think, you know, the points that you brought up about smaller for- firms are smaller lenders. Really interesting because they just, they as uh, Bill notes um, in the article, they don't have enough scale to be able to break even. And there's not even enough cut cost to cut. I mean, there's just not. You, you, you already have a small staff. You already, you know, you have to have, there's, there's the, you know, basic things you have to have and they don't have the scale to go uh, above it. And then they also, most importantly, don't have the cash or equity that the larger firms do, you know, and it's, it's a huge thing. That's, that's under a subhead where we said, is it time to eat the minnows? And, you know, those are the kind of companies that are looking to be acquired because to your point, not because it's going to make anyone rich necessarily, but because they just don't have the, you know, how are they going to survive here? On the other hand, we see some of those largest lenders um, who do have some, some finances, who have the backing, the equity, the cash because they went public. Um, and so it's going to be interesting to see if if they are some of the people who who look to acquire. Yeah, I, I mean, we know that there are some big companies out there that are interested that have made noise either privately or even publicly, right? And you, 
as you said, we're, we're on earnings call season right now. And that uh, Rhythm Capital, which owns Caliber and New Res, said we've got a lot of cash in the bank and we are definitely interested in growing market share. And they're going to be looking for, you know, retail, probably mid-size lenders to grow their footprint in areas in which maybe they're competitive geographically, but maybe they're not as competitive as they think they could be, uh, you know, when they're going up against other rivals that do have the money, you know? And so um, we know that Guild is, is uh, you know, thinking about acquisitions. Uh, we know that Guaranteed Rate is, is always looking at that sort of thing, right? So uh, there are a lot of really, really interesting large players that have um, all things said, even with our originations down like 30, 40%, um, these are strong businesses that have performed well over the years and they know how to survive these types of cycles. And, um, you know, famously, a lot of people make money when, when everybody's, everybody's running for the hills and scared. So, um, I, I do think that some of the biggest lenders are just going to get much bigger. Um, and and even some of those in, in that top echelon, you know, that we talked about, that top 50 that we cover so often are not going to stick out. Uh, they're, they're not going to stick around for the end of this cycle. Finance of America already shut down its, its you know, forward business. Its wholesale business, gone, right? Tried to sell their their retail, their distributed retail business. And now they're they're basically just shedding uh, you know, staffers and branches piecemeal, piece by piece to different, different companies. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting to see what the big players are doing. I also think it's fascinating to see the smaller mortgage lenders that are really going to aggressively move in a totally different direction. So, so Bill spoke to someone who, uh, described, uh, one small East coast lender in, in the last couple months picked up a California license. And it's pretty much exclusively doing uh, high dollar reverse mortgage transactions in California, because that's the way they think that they're going to survive without having to go out of business, you know? And, and so, you know, what is that phrase? Like nature finds a way, right? Like, I, I think that's really, really interesting um, because there are so few people out there that I know of who are like, you know, this seems like the perfect time to break into like real high dollar, high risk uh, lending on, on reverse, you know, of all industries. And you need so much uh, you know, compliance <laughs> training, and it's uh, it's a really really tough nut to crack. So I, I think it's really interesting. But you know, the the general outlook is that the housing industry is going to be bad for the foreseeable future. But um, there are going to be companies that are well positioned. They have strong balance sheets. You know, low debt ratios. They have a lot of cash or liquid, or or they can tap. You know, private equity partners, right? And and they have uh, retail operations that are pretty well um you know established and and they can they can absorb LOs without necessarily having to absorb a ton of processors or underwriters or you know other other support staff and and be able to grow without taking on you know huge costs beyond the sales staff and the book of business and and the email addresses and you know uh, all the data that you acquire when you're picking up a lender, um, I, that, that's the other part of this that I think is really interesting. How much are they paying just for data, right? Just for names, email addresses, physical addresses, phone numbers, stuff like that, right? So um, it's a little early yet, but uh, but we, we do have a story plan on that as well. 
I'd love to see that. Um, you know, one of the people that Bill talked to was Leon Wong, a partner at Waterfall Asset Management. And he brought up that yeah. a similar thing was like, you know, here the sum of the solutions is for these lenders to augment with two additional asset classes. So HELOCs, home equity line of credit, and secondly, loans or reverse mortgages. And so really interesting to your point, like people getting into different things that, you know, when when you have the low hanging fruit of refi, nothing, you know, you're like, no, we don't need that. Um, that's not what we're doing. But the fact that you do have uh, people looking into these different uh, kinds of asset classes than they've had before is going to be really interesting to see how it how it shakes out. Yeah, and and Bill spoke to Brett Ludden. He's a managing director of Sterling Point Advisors, and and they do a lot of mergers and acquisitions, uh, advisory work. They're they're based out of Virginia, and uh, he, he talks about, um, you know that that they already know of several lenders that told them that they just said they have no way to continue. It's just impossible that they'll be able to maintain operations, and so they're closing doors, and others are you know just desperate to cut costs beyond. Maybe what what they can actually, um, you know, realistically cut while still maintaining operations, right? Like you, again, you still need a certain number of staffers to originate mortgages. It's not it, it's not just like one guy in a basement, right? It's not it's not doable, and uh, and so we don't quite know where the bone is for a lot of these companies because they are small. They're often on the periphery, you know. Like I couldn't tell you. Right now, off the top of my head, what the 160th largest mortgage lender in America is doing right now, right? Right. It's <laughs> like they're probably all in a very similar position, which is their volume. Maybe their their you know locks in the pipeline are down 70 percent, right? I don't think that's unrealistic to think. And if that's down that much, and you only have already had like a staff of say 35, 40, 50 people. I mean, how are you going to cut further? Uh, so in, in some cases, uh, again, if you have access to capital, maybe instead of saying, let's just try to survive, you, you take a risk and you try to buy up, you know, the number 150 or the number 180, right? And, and be big enough because, again, you need to achieve a certain scale. Um, and, and so much of this also comes down to geographically speaking, you know, where, where, where do most originations come out of, you know, it's honestly, percentage wise, it's a few key states, right? It's New York, California, Texas, Florida, a smattering of smaller states here and there. But if you can really perform well um, and, and have a local presence and have connections with real estate agents and financial advisors and people who are close to the transaction, I, I think you stand a better chance than if you try to take a big national approach, but you don't really have uh, durable uh, connections with, you know, with the people that actually get the job done. So uh, we're going to find out, I think, pretty quickly if, if rates are in the sevens and eights, another two quarters. I mean, we're, we're going to see them drop like flies, I think. I think this is one of the reasons uh, you and I were talking after the MBA conference last week that, you know, MBA uh, CEO Bob Brooksmith came out very strongly against some, you know, seeing a, a more maybe aggressive CFPB. And his whole point in that was like, listen, this is not the, you know, people are just trying to survive. This is not the time to really ramp up compliance costs. And, um, you know, you could really hasten the the extinction of some of these companies just by that. I mean, just just by that could really be the difference maker. Yeah. I, I, mean, I think the issue for the, the industry is really twofold. One, it's 
we already bear a huge amount of costs in compliance and making sure that we're doing everything above board, that there's no, um, no one could even accuse us of doing something untoward or, 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 you know, harming the consumer in any way. Right. Um, and then there's the other piece to it, which is a lot of folks in the industry feel strongly, I might add that the CFPB operates as sort of like a judge, jury, and executioner all in one, and that they just sort of make up the rules as they go along and they decide um, to, to kind of, you know, wield their immense power as they see fit. And it's not based on a rulemaking process in, in their perception, right? So I know a lot of lenders are very scared about uh, fair housing lawsuits and, and some of the some of the measures that the CFPB has already taken, they've been pretty aggressive over the last year and going after certain companies that they feel didn't, you know, lend enough in minority areas or didn't have enough, um, you know, of a presence in certain areas and were, were, uh, you know, prioritizing profits in, in wider, wealthier areas over, you know, serving a community that really does need uh, investment. And, and so, so lenders are cognizant of that. Um, there's only so much money that they have, especially now. And, and I, I think you know, the MBA, other trade groups, a lot of lenders will tell you privately, nobody wants to stick their neck out and say, hey, excuse me, uh, you know, CFPB, here's, here's what I think you're doing uh, wrong. And, and here's how I think you should act. And, and uh, you know, the, the best way to uh, work with us is to work with us and not, you know, not just suddenly drop a lawsuit on our desk, right? Um, so, so the fact that Bob said that alone is, um, is, is pretty interesting and, um, you know, unusual in the industry where it's mostly folks talking in hushed tones and through lawyers and, you know, strategists and lobbyists and folks like that, right? It's almost never that you hear it directly from, from a major industry stakeholder, but the MBA as an organization, you know, I mean, this is part of its duty, right? Is, is to have, a somebody with a bulletproof vest and, and, uh, you know, stands up on stage and, and, uh, you know, hopes that there's no sniper, but you know, if, if there is, they'll, they'll hope that the vest protects them. Um, you know, that's, that's their duty. And, um, you know, I, I don't know how much of it is, is the industry trying to get ahead of future, um, you know, CFPB actions, or if it's just, Hey, <laughs> please like stop. Like you, you see what, what's going on, right? Like, you know, work with us. You know, we're, we're trying to do this in good faith. Like we don't like this style. It's, it's really hard to say, which maybe it's a bit of both. I, I really don't know. It's a good point. I also think that the CFPB is just one of the regulators that's really empowered on uh, to enforce fair, fair lending laws. I mean, they are empowered from the consumer uh, standpoint, but there are others. And uh, if, if you want to look at the paved task force, that's looking at appraisals, appraisal bias. I mean, it's a, it's a alphabet soup of every, um, regulatory body in Washington, and they're taking it very seriously. We, we expect actually for um, some things to be coming out of that uh, towards the end of this year. So this this month, now that we're in November, this month, next month. And so I, I well, do- Well, they, they just finally released really important data. 35 million appraisals, I believe. I've only gone through three of them. So 
You'll, you'll have to talk to me next week. Okay. <laughs> we will definitely look at some of that data, but um, I do think that you can feel like if you're in the mortgage uh, industry, you might feel besieged to your point. That's why you need Bob Brooksman up there saying, listen, we've had enough. We, you know, just give us some breathing room while we're trying to figure out how to survive from a financial standpoint before there are more regulatory things put on us. Yeah. It's, it's going to be a really challenging year and it's not just the origination side, of course, right? You know, a lot of these lenders have servicing concerns. And if we do hit a recession, there are job losses. Um, you know, I I think they had a good dry run with COVID, uh, but now we're really going to see if, if the Fed is ultimately successful, maybe they'll never be successful and we'll just always have high inflation and, and uh, you know, very low job uh, job losses. Um, but, but assuming the Fed eventually uh, breaks the back of the economy, um, you know, It'll be interesting to see how servicers work with, um, you know, the the litany. There are so many different agencies, and and you know, there are state agencies, there are federal agencies, there are all kinds uh, of, of regulators. There are attorneys general who are looking for scalps, right? You know, so there, there are a lot of a lot of potential dangers out there. Um, it's going to be a really, really, really challenging year in twenty twenty three on both fronts. You know, you you can simultaneously have limited originations and huge servicing problems at the same time. So it's a great point. I would say that um, at least the there was a, some bright a bright point towards the end of Bill's article where he talks about you know MBA's baseline forecast for mortgage rates um, for the end of next year. So the end of 2023 is at about 5.4 percent. So that would be at this point we would we would be really happy with that and we could see a you know uh, some people refi, not like the huge, you know, refi boom we had, but some people refi. And then just you think about all the people who want to buy a house right now who are just priced out. And at 5.4%, I wonder if you just have another, you know, you have sort of that built up demand. They've just been shut out. Maybe they got, you know, didn't win a house in 2021. Now things are too high. And you do wonder if you're going to have sort of a, a really good year in 2024. Yeah. And I talked to a lot of loan officers and, and I asked them, you know, how do you balance this idea that you need business, right? You, you need to feed your family. You need to, to make ends meet. And you have clients that are probably pretty skittish looking at the mortgage rate tracker every day, right? Looking to see if they're up or down and, and, you know, it, it could amount to real money, right? Should I lock now? Should I wait until it hits this number? And so if, if you're a loan officer, how you communicate urgency and the right time to buy is really tricky right now. And um, I, I don't envy their position, but it could also mean that if they do profess, profess patience, that they'll be richly rewarded in 2024 or 2025 or, you know, like markets come up and down. They've always, you know, if we were here, you know, uh, 90 years ago, we'd be talking about the stock market crash, right? You know, we'd be talking about very different conditions. And then, of course, you know, the 50s, 60s, and basically from there on, it's, you know, largely boomed with a few exceptions here and there, right? So um, it will return. Things will get better. And if you're a loan officer, I, I think you probably prioritize um, making a friend that day, right? And, and, you know, having a client maybe a year down the road or two years down the road than trying to you know, wring a, a cash out refi out of them or, you know, try to get them in a house that maybe wasn't really the house that they wanted, but 
they felt the pressure to act before rates got even higher or, you know, it's, there, there are so many variables to this, right? But um, it does, I think it does kind of separate the real serious professionals who are going to be around for this cycle, the next cycle, the cycle after that, and and those who are probably just not either not prepared for this kind of environment or, you know, don't have the experience or expertise to, to really navigate it um, and, and, you know, keep enough business in the pipeline to, to survive. Um, so I, I think when we do have this conversation a year from now, we'll probably look back and say, you know, those who professed patience and said, yep, okay, I get it. Here's, here's where we are. We might not even get to that, you know, in, in 2023. Uh, but when you're ready, you know, I've got all your information. I've got everything. I know what kind of house you're looking for. I know, you know, I know what, what your goals are, what your situation is generally. Um, we'll, we'll be ready to, to execute quickly and get you in that dream home or, or refi you out of your situation right now. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it's a lot of planning. It's a lot of, uh, you know, relationship business right now, but, but not a lot of money coming in. Unfortunately, I wanted to flag that um, we have the Lending Life newsletter. Um, a lot of the people that you talk to, like, I mean, you're constantly talking to originators and so are the rest of our staff. And so we have a newsletter specifically for people who are trying to figure out what's going on in that in in that sector. So just tell us a little bit about Lending Life so that, you know, people could maybe get some of those insights um, several times a week, you know, what we're hearing on the ground right then. Yeah. So Lending Life goes out Monday through Thursday. I don't know how many subscribers we have to it. I I should probably know this. You're really putting me <laughs> on the spot here. Uh, but but it's it's a it's a newsletter that is very focused on the experience of being a loan officer and developing relationships, ethical questions, how you are making money right now, what new products you are opting for. Um you know, lenders that are maybe shutting down. We, we do a lot of sourcing through uh, comments. I get, you know, sometimes 20, 30, 50 uh, emails a day from, from people on the newsletter, uh, just, you know, expressing what's going on in the market or, you know, what, what they feel should happen or shouldn't happen. Or, or sometimes they tell me I'm wrong or, uh, you know, sometimes they have uh, strong thoughts about um, regulation or, you know, companies that they should or shouldn't join. So it's, um, it's, it's pretty varied, I would say, but we really try to make sure that it is very highly relevant to, um, the life of a, a mortgage loan originator and, uh, you know, how they, they interact with a real estate agent who's difficult or, you know, not responsive or, um, you know, working with a new CRM or, you know, lead generation, what they'll pay for a lead, uh, stuff like that. So it's it it really runs the gamut, but again, it is not a general purpose mortgage newsletter. It is really for uh the LO out there. Absolutely. So I would encourage our listeners who that applies to go to housingware.com, sign up. And if you ever want to get in touch with James with a lead to be a source to just to talk, his name, his contact info is james at hwmedia.com minus sarah at hwmedia.com. Reach out anytime. And James, thank you so much for being on. Thanks for having me, Sarah. How 
have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? Or how is the industry navigating the shift to a purchase-driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW+, answers questions like these and offers a variety of member-exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast-paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. With your HW Plus membership, you get access to longer-form digital content, the HousingWire magazine, member-exclusive rates to in-person events like HousingWire Annual, and more. Thanks for listening to HousingWire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show or leave a comment. We'll see you back here on Monday for more news and insight.